When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what exactly is art anyway? Is art a piece of paper that's simply been signed by an artist? Or is it a lifelong work, stressed about and molded together bit by bit? Should the title of art be judged by those who are viewing it, those creating it, or those buying it? This is a special episode of the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. And a special deep dive episode of A Thousand Things to Talk About, sparking conversation and discussion daily. I'm Andrea Parrish. When first asking this question of what exactly it is that defines art, I admit I went back to my notes from college. While art was not my field of study, the philosophy of art was one of the most intense and deeply thought-provoking classes I ever took, partially because the idea of art being a philosophy instead of a history or a practice thoroughly intrigued me. And even for those of us who did study art in college and beyond, the actual definition of art is still an elusive one. One of my favorite memories from my college courses was a seminar that I took that was begun with this seemingly simple question, what is art? And it sparked an intense debate. One person identified art as its medium, whether or not it was a painting, a sculpture, or a photograph, for example. But to another student, it was the pure concept behind it. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, in trying to boil down the very wide world of the philosophy of art, lays out a few facts that they call uncontroversial in figuring out what counts as art. While the uncontroversial part may be debatable, they do cast a pretty wide net. Those elements include that it must be an artifact or performance intentionally created with aesthetic purpose surpassing that of everyday objects. Like much Western philosophy, Plato had something to say about art, and he was not a fan. He held that art was entirely a representation of a physical object, and therefore reliant on the physical object. That physical object is also entirely reliant on the platonic ideal object. And since a physical object is only a lower quality reflection of the ideal, art can only be of a massively inferior quality. Jumping ahead to the Middle Ages, the philosophy of art remained, for the most part, based on the idea of direct representation. Augustine, an artist himself, mused that art is inspired by and represents the divine art created by God. That made art quite valuable, as it was a path towards God, but it was still a representation. That representational ideal of art stuck around and really was the only widely accepted players in the game for a very long time. The question of a definition of art really didn't become a question at all, or a problem if we're being specific about it, until the late 19th century. 
The French Impressionists get a bad rap today for seeming boring or ultra-traditional to our 21st century eyes. But the fact of the matter is that they were totally revolutionary at the time, and their insistence on breaking with conventions of the depictions of space and color made them appear radical and anarchic to those who championed traditional modes of painting. To their critics, these works of art seemed unfinished. And as art critic Louis Leroy once said when first viewing a Monet for the first time, it was more of an impression than a finished work of art, and the name stuck. We'll be covering the topic of the subversive Impressionists at a later time on the Art Curious podcast, but suffice it to say that the Impressionists as a whole were one of the first artist groups that consistently put out finished products that caused the public to really ask, is this art? And ask, they did. In droves. It was around the 19th century that, as author Moshe Barash describes in the book Modern Theories of Art II, quote, a whole group of disciplines, many of them grouped under the common label of psychology, concerned themselves with exploring different aspects of art, or questions that had a bearing on art, unquote. As an article in Organization Science in 2000 also pointed out, the Impressionists also facilitated a shift in who got to decide on the value and definition of art, from one dominated by other artists to one dominated by experts, who could certify how innovative a piece of art really was. If the Impressionists seemed inflammatory at the end of the 19th century, then imagine the utter disdain and chaos that Dada hath wrought in the early 20th century. Dada is one of those slightly tricky avant-garde art movements that in itself is a little bit difficult to pin down. But overall, it erupted in Europe as a response to World War I's terror and bloodshed. To many, it seemed nonsensical. And so what better way to mock modern existence and war than to go all out with this idea of nonsense? In visual art, poetry, dance, and performance, Dadaists overturned the conception of creation and the identification of a final, permanent art product. One of their most important influences on art, which can be still felt today in many contemporary works, is the concept of the ready-made. The term itself was coined by the French artist Marcel Duchamp, whose specific take on art was, and still is, controversial. Basically, the ready-made is anything, especially an everyday object, that is then deemed a work of art. The most famous ready-made that Duchamp created, and I'm saying that in air quotes, was his Fountain from 1917. Fountain consists of a urinal sloppily signed with the artist's pseudonym of R. Mutt and dated at the bottom left corner. Duchamp didn't fabricate the urinal. He bought it somewhere, or found it, and it became art through his signature and his declaration. It was art because he said it was. Essentially, art moved away from a process of making to a process of thinking. If you think it's art, apparently it is. This rather radical definition of art was not a controversy just in the art world. Ready-made presented a unique challenge for the legal world as well. As the Center for Art Law explains in their blog, quote, The law depends on stable categories and analogies that enabled binary, adversarial approaches to problem-solving. Contemporary art, at its very core, aims to resist the notion that there can be a right answer, and that art lends itself to a stable definition. This fundamental tension between art and the law 
is thrown into relief in some rather comical and yet important ways. When Ducamp himself tried to bring sculptures from his friend Konstantin Branuski across the pond into New York City for a show, a customs official refused to call his abstract bird-in-space sculpture art, and instead categorized it under kitchen utensils and hospital supplies, which added a 40% tax levy to the piece. The resulting 1927 court case codified into law that non-representational sculpture could legally be considered art. Customs officials again kicked off a legal battle about what exactly could be considered art in 1970s The United States of America versus 10 Erotic Paintings. Paintings and drawings by a variety of artists were seized by customs agents as they were being shipped from Europe to a gallery in the United States. The agents believed that the paintings violated obscenity law in the United States. Eventually, judges decided that while the works did appeal to lustful interest and depicted sexual conduct in a patently offensive way, they did also have artistic value and therefore could be considered art. These decisions, along with dozens of others, are considered particularly notable for the fact that they do venture into the question of what exactly is art. Usually, when it comes to judging aesthetic value, judges fall back on a 1903 quote from Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes. It would be a dangerous undertaking for persons trained only in the law to constitute themselves final judges of the worth of a work outside the narrowest and most obvious limits. At the one extreme, some works of genius would be sure to miss appreciation. Their very novelty would make them repulsive until the public had learned the new language in which the, their author spoke. I'm curious what you think. This has been a special collaborative episode of A Thousand Things to Talk About and the Art Curious Podcast. You can find A Thousand Things to Talk About at Muse Topics on Twitter and Instagram or at a thousand things to talk about.com. And find the Art Curious Podcast at our website, artcuriouspodcast.com, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Art Curious Pod. A special thanks to Jeremiah Puhek for his help producing and editing this episode. And thanks to Kabunki Creative for production and editing assistance. K-A-B-O-O-N-K-I dot com. <laughs>